Support for Talk the Towns comes from the Maine Community Foundation, partnering with donors and nonprofits statewide to strengthen Maine communities through grants and scholarships on the web at maincf.org. It's 10 o'clock and you are tuned to WERU-FM, 89.9 Blue Hill, 99.9 Bangor, and streaming online at WERU.org. Talk of the Towns with your host Ron Beard is up next. Good morning and welcome to Talk of the Towns here on WERU. We try to go beyond the headlines to make sense of the issues facing Maine communities to share what works to seek alternative solutions. Talk of the Towns is produced with support from Cooperative Extension, the major educational outreach program of the University of Maine with offices statewide. Cooperative Extension puts knowledge to work with the people of Maine and like WERU, whose mission is to be a voice of many voices, operates out of a sense that everyone benefits when we share our knowledge, our experience, our concerns, our perspectives. We're about to practice the magic of community radio, in which those of us in the studio and you who are listening create a dialogue that we hope will be a benefit to our friends, our neighbors, and colleagues. I hope you'll stay with us for the next hour and talk of the towns. Well, Maine was once the food basket for New England and parts of the Northeast. But as recently as 2005, although Maine people spent over $3 billion on food products and services, Maine farmers and fishermen received less than 4% of that total. So today we're going to ask the question, is there a coherent strategy to increase the amount of Maine-grown or harvested food consumed in Maine? What are we learning from how Maine fishermen and farmers are connecting with consumers in the marketplace? And um, in our studio... We have some great folks who can help us with that topic. Um, Monique Coombs is with us from the Maine Seafood Marketing Network. Um, Amanda Beal is with both the Eat Eat Local Food Coalition. She's a board member there and also a research coordinator at the University of Maine, um, a project on uh, creating a Maine food strategy. And welcoming back uh, Sebastian Bell of the Maine Aquaculture Association. Welcome to you all. Thank you. Thank you. Um, perhaps, uh, Monique, you start a little bit with yourself and give us a little background on your own um, uh, life and how you came to work on Maine Seafood Marketing. Uh, well, I came to Maine Seafood Marketing mostly because I'm married to a commercial fisherman. My husband's a lobsterman, and he also goes tuna fishing in the summer. Um, so about four or five years ago, I started Lobsters on the Fly as just a way to do some education around local seafood, and I self-published a cookbook. Uh, the proceeds denov- uh, excuse me, uh, were went to the Maine Lobstermen's Association. Um, but last year, I decided that I wanted to turn to do a little bit of consulting work for the fishing industry to focus on more projects. Um, so... Sorry. Uh, Now um, I'm working on behalf of Penobscot East Resource Center to work on the Maine Food Strategy with Amanda that we'll hear a little bit more about. Um, I chair the Maine Seafood Marketing Network, which I started probably about a year and a half, two years ago, which is a network of a lot of the organizations and industries working um, around seafood and marketing in Maine. And I'm also on the board for the Casco Bay Tuna Club, and I co-coordinate the Eat Local Foods Coalition. So... Very busy. Yeah, I dabble in a little bit of everything. (laughs) (laughs) How about you, Amanda? How did you come to this work? Well, um, 
Actually, my family has a dairy farm in Litchfield, Maine, and so I grew up, um, you know, shoveling out the calf pens and helping with the chores and uh, had a very real education at an early age of, of how, how hard farmers work to produce food for us. Um, and then on my mom's side of the family, we have a, a number of lobstermen and fishermen. Um, so needless to say, when we had family gatherings, it was uh, food was very central. <laughs> Local food tended to be very central. Um, and uh, so, you know, just grew up with a, a real interest in how we produce food and sort of, uh, you know, how producers are, um, are or are not compensated well enough for the work that they do. And uh, I finished my master's degree at um, Tufts in the Agriculture, Food and Environment program uh, last year. And now I'm actually also a PhD student at the University, University of New Hampshire. Mm. Um, and I'm in the natural resources program really focused on f- food production and food systems from that natural resources sort of uh, looking through that lens. Um, and then I'm also working, as you said, on the, the main food strategy project. Uh, I'm I'm working as a research coordinator, uh, which is just really interesting to me to be able to 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 help move this this effort forward. Mm. And Sebastian, uh, tell us a little bit about your background and and uh, the work of, of Maine Aquaculture Association. Sure. Um, well, I started as a commercial fisherman and um, ended up in aquaculture. So I, I refer to myself as a fisherman who's washed ashore. Um, but um, really, at the association, I've been working for the last uh, 12 or 13 years trying to find ways for our growers to capture more of the value, whether it's selling locally or um, getting more of the value chain back to the grower uh, than uh, traditionally happens. So it's it's really, for us, it's about um, rewarding growers for doing the right thing and making sure that um, they get paid a little more and um, and therefore are able to keep going. So fishermen um, and folks in, in that world um, have come a little later to the notion that we ought to be farming the sea. <laughs> um, you know, we, we start as hunter-gatherers in all of our uh, kind of our anthropological backgrounds, I suppose. Um, so aquaculture is, is moving in that direction. Um, are, there, are there elements to aquaculture that um, are similar or different from um, farming on the land? Oh, there's a lot of similarities. Um, I, I sit on a bunch of different agricultural councils in the state, and um, oftentimes I'm sitting with dairy farmers or with um, cattle farmers or, or grain farmers or what have you, and uh, many of the challenges that they face are very similar to the challenges that we face as farmers in the water. I think the one um, big difference is uh, my guys can't walk into the barn uh, and check on their animals. They have to put scuba on. Uh-huh. Uh, and so... When you're farming in the water, you are farming in, a, in an environment which is hostile to humans. That is very different than farming on land. Oh, I don't know. Amanda, you probably, there's some hostile. If we're out there today, it would feel a little hostile. <laughs> yeah, well, actually, I'll add um, the Local Foods Coalition, um, we actually have a project called By Land and By Sea. And uh, we started a few years ago. And we held forums all around the state and brought together farmers and fishermen and had them talk about what some of their shared challenges are. And, you know, we found a lot of similarities, um, aquaculture as well as, you know, other types of, of fisheries and the farmers, they had a lot to talk about. So mm. um, we actually have a, a report and a policy brief that we 
produced from that project that you can access on the Eat Maine Foods website. Hmm. Well, let, um, you've used a couple of terms, um, food system and then food strategy. Let's, let's talk about each of those in turn. Um, how would each of you kind of come to a definition of a food system? Man, do you want to start and then have sure. folks add to that? <laughs> sure. So, I, I mean, a food system is just, you know, all of the links in the chain, what it takes to produce the food until it gets to the consumer. All of those different steps mm-hmm. um, are part of the food system, and all of the people that participate in, in those stages are part of the food system, um, in, including all of us because we eat. Mm. So <laughs> so as consumers, we're part of that system. We definitely are, uh, yes. The end stage, I suppose. Or maybe not. Maybe the end stage is, is composting, <laughs> <laughs> putting it back. And and Sebastian, you used a term called va- the value chain, which I hadn't heard before. T- talk a little bit about how that plays into this. Well, you know, it, with any kind of food, there is uh, basically there's the production side and then there's the distribution side and then it ends up on somebody's plate. And as Amanda has said, the, the system um, is a lot bigger than what most consumers see. Um, at every stage in that process, whether it's from the farm to the first buyer to the second buyer to a processor or whatever, there is value added um, and prices change. And so, for a producer um, at the at the beginning of it, whether they're a farmer or a fisherman or an aquaculturalist, um, if you just sell your product at the farm gate, if you will, or at the dock, um, you get one price. If you're able to um, munch your way further up the food chain, pardon the pun, um, then you will capture more of the value. And so, if you look at agriculture, where we've you know most economists have done most of the work over the last hundred years or so, hundred years ago, the farmer. Um, basically got 80% of the value of of their product. Now they're below 20% and in many cases down below 10%. Um, In fisheries and in aquaculture, there are different percentages, but uh, the goal, at least for us as producers, is to try to increase the amount of value that we can return back to the farm or to the boat. Mm -hmm. I mean, mean, excuse me, um, Monique, how does that work in the fisheries sector? How how are you seeing that play out, that notion of getting more of the, the, the food value? In the um, fisheries, yeah. Well, uh, it's twofold. So one of the things that I've been thinking about as we work on the Maine food strategy is that we have lobster in Maine, which is huge, and then we have everything else, including aquaculture and and ground fish. So um, a lot of our lobster goes out of state, um, but if we could look at what we have in the summer, you know, getting more lobsters to more people that come up in the summer to get more money. Um, you know, fishermen are looking at their bait and their fuel costs and everything else. So if they can start to, as Sebastian said, get some of more of that um, direct marketing and direct to consumer to get some of that price back for them, it would help with some of those costs so they're not just um, passing it off. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and so are you seeing some ways in which um, um, fishermen who used to be just harvesting the fish and selling it on, are you seeing some ways in which they're gaining more of that value? Yeah, um, for some of the smaller uh, level things, there's t- uh, two community-supported fisheries in Maine, Salt and Sea CSF, which is based out of Portland, and of course, Port Clyde Fresh Catch. Um, and they're working very hard to utilize the community-supported agriculture model to um, get more people to buy some more of their fish and, and um, you know, have people purchase into shares. And, and that's helping them quite a bit. Um, we're seeing more seafood at farmers markets. 
Um, and so I think that that'll be you know beneficial for both the harvester and the consumer because the consumer will be able to maybe learn a little bit more about the various types of species that Maine has to offer and exactly you know what their money is going into and what the price of the fish is and what that means and and why the harvester has that for a price and why is that different than the grocery store so yeah I, I think it's coming about a little bit more especially mm-hmm. now I suppose there's two ways to to organize a strategy one is the um, the individual actions. Everyone takes an individual action, and then you look back and you summarize that. Sounds like you're looking at maybe um, uh, something a little different to create a strategy that brings more of those food dollars to Maine. Um, yes, yes. So the Maine food strategy, um, I'll give you a little bit of background here. Uh, in, in 2011, actually, a, a group of delegates attended a regional summit called the New England Food Summit. It was held in New Hampshire. And we were really being asked to come together as a region and think about whether or not we might want to create an overall vision or have some strategy for, you know, increasing food production and um, and solving a lot of these food system challenges. And the group from Maine really kind of looked at each other and scratched our heads and said, boy, it's really hard to participate in this conversation when we don't have a vision or, you know, a set of strategies that we're working toward in a coordinated way in Maine. Um, so there were actually a couple of funders in, in that, um, at that summit as well, and they came back and were pretty energized and came together, um, brought some resources together, and put out an RFP looking for an organization that would be a backbone organization to really produce that kind of a vision and strategy, um, some kind of an organization that would be neutral and would really be in service to all of the organizations and the people and the businesses that are really doing the work already. So it's not to create another entity. It's really to try to, um, you know, we're designing a participatory process to really hear from lots of different folks. Um, We've done a lot of background research. Uh, One of the things that people said, you know, pretty strongly was don't reinvent the wheel. There have been other reports. There have been other attempts to plan. look at what's already out there. So we did spend a lot of time doing that um, at the beginning. And, you know, it's interesting. I I reviewed over 200 different reports and plans and things like that. Uh, And one of the ones that really stood out for, for me was one from the 70s where it was basically outlining all of the problems um, and they're all the problems we have now, only my, many of them are bigger and we have more of them. You know, now we have obesity, obesity, we have climate change, we have all of these issues. And so what that speaks to, I think, is that we need to try something different. Um, we haven't solved those problems doing what we've been doing. So um, the main food strategy is really focused on strengthening the network and the communications with the organizations and, like I said, the, the businesses, the entrepreneurs, the people that are doing the work, and um, trying to create some shared goals and some strategies for getting to those goals so that we can all work together in a, in a more coordinated way and get there a little faster. Mm. So, you, um, Sebastian, you started with the notion that um, one of the problems is is trying to gain back some more of that value chain. Are there other issues that either fishermen, aquaculturists, or farmers are dealing with that, that this strategy would begin to address? Well, there are, you know, there are certainly specific rules and regulations that inhibit um, local trade of seafood in particular. And, and um, I, the one thing I have to say is that um, I think 
DMR has made, the Department of Marine Resources has made uh, some real efforts to try to be sensitive to that and figure out ways to solve those problems. You have to realize with seafood, there is a, a very important uh, dimension, which is that um, seafood is highly perishable. And so you need to protect public health uh, and food safety while facilitating perhaps non-traditional distribution uh, channels. And so there's a balance that has to be struck there. Um, but those those are things that I think can be worked on concretely from a policy or from a strategy point of view that would make a big difference. I, I do think, I mean, at the end of the day, um, the reality is... Um, it costs money to do business in Maine, just like anywhere else. But particularly in Maine, many of our farmers or our fishermen or our aquaculturists are complying with very stringent environmental regulations. And that costs money. That costs more than it does to produce something in Chile, for example, or, or what have you. And so consumers have to recognize that and be able to say, we're willing to pay more for something that's produced in an area that there are stringent regulations, that there are, it's it's more expensive to do business in, um, and until we're able to monetize that in the market, um, it's going to be difficult to support uh, increased local production. We need to we need to find a way for that value to be recognized in the marketplace. And so that ends ends up being on the consumer's end of that. Uh, food system, um, educating consumers. M Monique, you mentioned that one of the ways that um, you're seeing some fishermen um, make better connections with consumers is through farmers markets. And and Sebastian talked about some of the regulations that may get in the way of that. Are fishermen finding a way around some of those, not to to, to get around them to to uh, um, uh, kind of falsify things, but to to um, work on those issues? Yeah, yeah. I think. Uh, um it, it's two things, and if I can just go back mm -hmm, for a second please, to, to add to, to what Sebastian said. So I think even in how we're thinking about the food strategy and how we're approaching the fishing industry about this is we're very cognizant to the fact that, you know, food systems is sort of a, a newer term used in the fishing industry, whereas in the agriculture sector, it's been used far more frequently. Um, and so we're thinking about that and how we just approach the whole thing. Um, so we're doing, you know, different interviews with individual stakeholders to talk about a food system and what that means to them and, you know, how we can do our research to benefit them more. Um, and so, you know, with things like the farmer's market, yeah, there were, you know, finding a few different obstacles because it's sort of new. For example, here in Maine, we don't have a lot of bylaws at farmers markets that are specific to seafood. They sort of depend on what exists for poultry to figure out who should be, you know, at the market. So that's something that, you know, the Maine Federation of Farmers Markets has in mind and they're looking into and we are trying to develop stuff around that and learn about it more through the food strategy to, to benefit the harvesters that are interested in tapping into this local food market. Mm. So you mentioned um, community-supported agriculture and, and farmers markets as one of the ways. Are there other ways that fishermen are thinking about or would like to know more about? Uh, I'm sure there are, but those are the two big ones okay. that we hear quite a bit. And even when we talk about community-supported fishery, the CSA is really just a model that the CSF is following, but they've really, you know, fisheries from across the country, um, or excuse me, CSFs from across the country that you can find on localcatch.org are using a variety of different methods to sort of fulfill that model to benefit them the most. So, you know, you might be purchasing into a share that you 
pick up once a week, but you can have a little bit more say of what you get, or you might pick up every other week from a freezer all at once, or, you know, they're finding a lot of different methods to make that work for them. So, so far we have been, you know, the fisheries have been looking at agriculture quite a bit for their experience, but I think we'll start to see a lot of new models come down the road, Mm. you know, as well. And uh, uh, Amanda, the, the farmer has perhaps more options, um, farm stands, um, farmers markets, um, CSAs. Are, are those the main ways that consumers and, and uh, producers connect around farm-grown things? Yeah, mainly. And, and you know, also we're seeing, you know, this real interest in, in farm to institutions, so some of the wholesale markets, as well as boat or, you know, C to institution, (laughs) (laughs) right? Um, And so I think those are those are some exciting areas where a lot of energy is 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 going in Mm. as well. And and Sebastian, um, aquaculture has. both sides. It, it um, does what I could say is, is generally a commodity kind of piece. We think of salmon as, as kind of a commodity. It's, it's hard to distinguish where a farm salmon comes from. But we also have um, kind of individualized um, oyster growers who are producing something that um, people in the Damaris Square, I say, we have a flavor here that we can, we can talk about. Say more about that distinguishing um, part of aquaculture. Yeah, well, certainly our oyster growers have, have um, really developed uh, um, a, a market structure that's very similar to, in some ways, the winery industry on the West Coast. Um, and I think our mussel growers are also headed in that direction as well. Ironically, um, I think the salmon industry is going to end up going that way as well. We, um, one of the things we're seeing a lot uh, is people asking where they can buy Maine salmon versus salmon from another country. The challenge we have in the United States is we have something called country of origin labeling, which means that if our salmon goes to Canada to be processed and comes back into the States, it has to be labeled as a Canadian fish. In fact, um, we don't produce enough salmon in Maine to be able to run a processing plant full time. And so that's one of the challenges we have. We don't have critical mass. Um, but I, I think certainly we're seeing it on the even on the value-added product in salmon. We have, I don't know how many people know this, but we have some of the best small artisanal smokehouses in the country in Maine. Uh, and by and large, those guys are sourcing uh, and gals are sourcing Maine salmon and then smoking them here in Maine. And they are winning awards all over the country. Um, and a big part of it is because it's viewed as a Maine product. Um, so um, Maine has a good brand, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, we're seeing value in the marketplace for that. And it's, I think there's no, no place to go but up. I mean, I, I really think that we have tremendous potential in Maine, both on the fisheries and the aquaculture side of things. Uh, the challenge, again, is how do you get distribution networks and how do you monetize that for the producer? An interesting example, we talked about rules and regulations earlier, and you talked about farm stands for farmers. Well, it's currently in Maine not legal for a, uh, an, a shellfish aquaculturist to sell their product on the farm. And we get asked all the time, all summer long. We have kayakers, boaters pull up, yacht people pull up. We want to buy directly from the farm. So we've got to, that's a concrete example of where we've got to kind of solve something because 
there's a tremendous potential to partner with the tourism industry there and to bring that value back to the primary producer again. And I, I'm optimistic we'll solve those kinds of problems. Mm. We're in Maine. We're practical people. We'll figure it out. Mm. The, going back, Amanda, to the notion of a food strategy, um, are you, as a, as a kind of a, a group, talking about uh, both uh, feeding Maine people as well as um, taking this notion of a food basket that supplies the rest of, of New England? Or w- w- where does that kind of part fit into? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, well, actually... There, there is a New England um, conversation going on, and, and there will be a publication coming out in draft form in the next couple of weeks called A New England Food Vision, um, and it will be available to anybody who's interested to comment on the content. Uh, and if people are interested in knowing how to, to connect with that, um, when it comes out, we'll, we will be sending out notices um, through the MainFoodStrategy.org website for anybody that's signed up for updates so you can you can sign up at the the website but the new england food vision um document has really explored what does the natural resource base look like in new england and if we were to say by 2060 try to produce a lot more of our own uh food for new england um what could we do what might that look like and the maximum scenario uh that would leave new england still 70 percent forested would be to scale up to six million acres of agriculture um and we're currently closer to two uh and so that leaves a lot of people looking at maine because (laughs) we have a lot of the land that would be converted um, but at the same time, we really need to be thinking forward about that conversion process and how do we scale up agriculture to that degree if we choose to do so in a way that isn't detrimental for water quality and our fisheries. Um, so that's one of those so intersecting issues that, that we, we are definitely thinking about and talking about. But yes, in terms of you know markets, what we produce in Maine, um, we would we would love to see more of the dollar and more of the value remain here, whether it's through processing, you know, doing those value added pieces. We, you know, it it would be unrealistic to think that we're going to consume everything here and not be doing some sort of exchange regionally, even even you know, nationally, internationally. We're we're still going to have a global food system, but it's really about how can we bring more of the value. Um, back to our producers and and feed ourselves a good healthy diet. Mm. And just as agriculture has kind of different sizes or scales, um, Maine agriculture has different scales. We've got potatoes that we we couldn't eat all the potatoes in, <laughs> that we grow in Maine in Maine. So we have to market those elsewhere. Right. And lobster, lobster has 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 proven the same um, as a a commodity almost, even though there there are um, certainly that Maine brand. I think both for potatoes and for lobster is still there. Is that is that fair to say? I think that's very fair. Mm. Yes. Mm. And so are some of the larger. Um, growers or commodity groups part of the main food strategy as well? Yeah, I mean, we we have been um, uh, connected to AgCom. We've gone and presented at their meetings. We've asked for feedback. Um, we have, uh, you know, different representatives on our uh, design committee for the 
the food strategy who represent different sectors of, of commodities and and you know we keep reaching out and and wanting to know more and we're really at the beginning of this participatory phase mm-hmm. I, the mm-hmm. first phase of this project was laying a foundation and really understanding what has come before and trying to to design a process for for doing that participatory work so mm-hmm. we're just really getting started and and we hope to engage people from all different scales and sectors as we go along. Hmm. So I, I, it seems like the the uh, notion of uh, different scales, and uh, uh, it isn't just about the small local farmer um, who's growing vegetables that they sell at the farm stand. This is looking at the whole thing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we'll be opening up our phone lines in a few minutes, um, but um, this this uh, um, notion of what is local, Sebastian. Uh, asked that question earlier and probably each of you have some different um, flavors of that you want to start amanda what, what do you, how do you again thinking of your background with the right. local coalition right well I, I i guess i answer this question when i'm asked from a personal perspective because i think you know local is it means different things to different people and it depends on what you're talking about for me i try to purchase food that is as local as i can get it um and so that's you know that's the way that I operate. But, you know, I do also recognize that if you're trying to measure something or if you're talking about, you know, the economic impact, you sometimes need to draw lines around an area. And it's usually easiest to do that around a county or a state or perhaps, you know, the New England region. Um, but it really depends on your perspective and, and what it is that you're you're looking to just to get right so if, if you were th- um, thinking about eating local in one area um, and you know a farmer producing beef um, you mentioned uh, Monique that you you have a farm share that produces gives you beef that's different than um, well we're not going to probably have um, all varieties of, of banana in, in Maine we've got to figure out another way to, to do that yeah well I would echo everything that Amanda said but add um, thinking about fisheries specifically I get a lot of questions about uh, what, you know, what's sustainable, different catch methods, Mm. toxicity, what type of fish people should be purchasing. So when it comes to fish, I think in in local, we have to think a a little bit broad. So I usually tell people um, if it's U.S. landed or from the United States, you're good because we have the best regulations in the world. But the more local that you can get, like Amanda said, you know, around you, that that's great. But we also have to think about the Gulf of Maine is local for us. So sometimes it's a Maine fisherman fishing in the Gulf of Maine and landing in Massachusetts. And, is you know, it's up to you to decide that. But that's still a type of local. And then, of course, there is the, you know, Maine harvested fish or Maine farmed fish, um, you know, that's local as well. So I think that there's an, a number of different ways to look at it. And that fish, um, whether we like it or not, may have traveled a fair distance before it gets to from from the fisherman who caught it, kind of be locally Gulf yeah. of Maine, down to Boston or somewhere. And with Sebastian, it's to Canada to process salmon, and then back to and us. And, back. But we still think of that as our part of our local food system. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting though. You think about it. We we. Um, as humans in the history of humanity have uh, more choices in our diet than we have probably ever had at any point in time in history. And so you talked about bananas earlier. Um, 
if you really, I mean, what's local, if we're really going to go local, then we have to become much more creative chefs. Uh, and I think one of the interesting things for me is the nexus between the chef community and the local growers or, or farmers or fishermen community and how they're beginning to use things that, you know, cod, for example. Okay, cod is not in great shape right now, but you've got people who are doing some very creative things with fish that are like cod, um, and uh, and that's local food. Um, so I think part of the discussion about local foods has to be about chefs and how, how people are using the same old stuff in different ways, uh, in more creative ways. I'll just remind our listeners that they're tuned to Talk of the Towns this morning. We're talking about eating local from land and sea, creating a Maine food strategy. And in the studio with us are Sebastian Bell, who you just heard from, from the Maine Aquaculture Association, Amanda Beal with the Eat Local Food Coalition, but more pertinently to this topic, she's a research coordinator um, on the Maine Food Strategy Project, and Monique Coombs with the Maine Seafood Marketing Network. Um, at this point, I'd like to, um, you, you said, uh, Amanda, earlier that this is at the beginning of creating a strategy. Maybe we'd like to hear from some listeners about what they think a good food strategy should be for Maine. And, Absolutely. And, uh, so uh, give us a call, one 625 or locally, 469-050-0, um, as we talk about eating local from land and sea. Um, this notion of Sebastian um, uh, left with of uh, getting... Uh, um, chefs involved. Are you seeing some of that? Um, I, I can think of there was a there's a, there's a poetry slam, but there's also a, a fish slam of some sort where chefs are given kind of a surprise species, and there's three or four of them. I think in Portland, um, they use that notion, and they've got to use local ingredients and come up with a wonderful meal. Yeah, that that's happened as well as um, Gulf of Maine Research Institute's Out of the Blue program has been great for highlighting some of the various species that we have. And the chefs are, are using, um, I think right now it's redfish and they have um, other species coming up that I, I can't think of off the top of my head, but you can log on to their website to see it. So there are a lot of different things. Great. We have a, a phone call. I'll list our phone number one more time, one 625 um, If you'd go ahead and um, give us, if you'd like, your first name and where you're calling from, and then go ahead with your question or comment. Hi. Uh, my name is, is Allison. I'm calling from Rockland. And one of the things you've kind of touched on is, is how foods are getting to the end producers. And for a challenge for a lot of small producers is if you don't want to work with a distributor so that you can keep your end cost down to the consumer is how to get those products in a timely fashion, in a convenient fashion to, to the final consumer. And I'm wondering if you've heard any useful conversations about, about people trying to do that. Are you a producer yourself? I am. Uh-huh. And what, what, um, what have you tried? What have you thought about? Uh, well, at this point, I, I I do as much of my own distribution as as possible, and then I ship, um, you know, using uh, ground shipping uh, for for things outside of what's easy to drive to. And are you adding value to your product before it's sold? Yes. Uh huh. You, you can you can say what your product is. I'm a cheesemaker. Wonderful. Okay, good. So that notion of of, uh, distribution, we'll get comments from our, our, our panel of guests. Thanks very much.
Thank you. So, this, Sebastian, you've mentioned distribution. All of you are uh, kind of, that must be part of the, the, the food strategies. How do we get this food back to consumers? What, what are some of the ways that, in which you're seeing emerge? We, we, have, we do have some challenges in Maine, and one of which is the size of our state. Mm-hmm. Um, the more remote the producer, the more difficult it is to distribute. And that literally, to put it in real terms, um, if you're a producer that's value-adding and distributing via UPS, depending on where you are in the state, your your rates could be double or triple uh, what they are coming out of Portland. So um, it's practical things like that that make it a real challenge. What we have seen is we've seen producers banding together um, and, uh, dr- and basically um, taking into the next zone, if you will. So c- coming out of their high price zone, going to the next zone, and then distributing uh, based out of that zone. And we have um, growers that are working together to do that. The other um, thing we've seen is we've seen um, some of the trucking companies in Maine um, have been pretty willing to... Um, to work with groups of producers to to basically batch ship stuff. Um, again, you have to know where it's going. You have to have distribution on the on the other end of that um, distribution method it lined up. Um, seafood is kind of brutal because it, as I said, it's it's perishable and um, chain of custody and the quality of. Um, the shipping method, you know, you're, you're dealing with something which has to be kept cool, um, has to be delivered in a timely fashion. That makes it um, pretty challenging sometimes. Mm. Um, I'll listen our phone numbers one more time, and we'll get some more reactions to the question of distribution. one 625 9378 Give us a call if you're interested in, in asking a question or sharing your own experience about eating local from land and sea, creating a, a main food strategy. Um, Amanda, what are some of the other distribution challenges and some of the responses to those challenges? challenges that you're seeing. Mm, yeah, I know. I think Sebastian, what, what Sebastian said is it rings true, you know, sort of throughout. Um, and, you know, we've seen that there's a, an awful lot of interest from producers in looking at cooperative models, whether formal or informal. Um, and actually the Eat Local Foods Coalition held a, a conference uh, about a year ago, year and a half ago, um, for producers to to learn more about cooperative structures. And, uh, and I know that there was, there was a, a good amount of energy that came out of that. Um, and then the other thing that I, I mean, I am aware of is that there, there, are, there are companies that are moving food around the state that are not necessarily taking on the distribution piece, but like we have seafood trucks that will drive, you know, one direction with their, their trucks empty. And if they can fill it with produce or something else that needs to go in that direction, they're generally pretty happy to do that. So um, I would encourage folks that if they're looking for someone to move something for them to think outside the box and, and look at who is, is already moving is already food, moving food right. Right? right? Because there, there are lots of opportunities out there. Right. And this notion of either a formal co-op or um, informal cooperate cooperation right. seems to be happening a lot too. Right. Yeah, I, I would echo what Amanda and Sebastian said and, and add, um, especially for, for fishermen, the amount of risk that's involved. If they're developing these markets elsewhere that requires transportation, you know, they have to think about it being sustainable because if they're working with a hospital or a school or a bigger market that's, you know, taking a lot of their catch and for some reason it just doesn't work out, that's a that's a big loss for them. So it, it's twofold. And I actually did a um, feasibility study regarding distribution of seafood in the state. And what Sebastian Abanda said are all things that um, I found and thought about a number of different obstacles. Um, and that risk piece, you know, was a big one because if we were to develop 
any larger entity that worked specifically on local seafood distribution. What if those larger markets decide in a couple of years it's not going to work for them? What does that mean for the fishermen? And I'm sure the example of moo milk comes yeah, to mind. Yeah, exactly. It? And right, and right. smaller producers for someone that's doing cheese, if they develop these larger markets, what does that mean for them? Mm-hmm. You know, down the road. And a lot of this has to do with competition. So I'll list our phone numbers one more time, and maybe we'll come back to this notion that we're not the only people interested in our food. Um, one eight six 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 two five nine three seven eight or locally four six nine zero five zero zero. As we talk about eating local from land and sea, um, Sebastian, as we um, gathered before the show, you were talking about um, the the competitive factor in terms of uh, not only who's buying, but what will they're willing to pay for food and how that's going to in fact impact rather our food strategy. Yeah, I think, I mean, for folks who aren't in the food business, um, some of the stuff seems a little obscure, but the reality is that the, you know, the population is growing hugely in other parts of the world. And uh, we're at about 7.2 billion right now. By 2050, in my kid's lifetime, will be over 9.6 billion. And most of that growth will occur in countries like China, India, or Brazil. You add to that the fact that uh, their standard of living is increasing dramatically. Um, And those governments, those countries, are going to have to make sure that there's adequate supplies of food for their their citizens or people get ticked off. Um, And so we are seeing... um, food markets change pretty dramatically. We are lucky in this country that we have a relatively low cost of food. And you may not feel that way when you go to the supermarket, but compared to other countries, uh, we're still relatively uh, well off from the food cost point of view. The average U.S. citizen spends about 6% of their annual salary on uh, food. In a place like Europe or in uh, some of the other countries around the world, it's more like 30 or 40%. So... um, as those populations grow, as those communities, those countries become more affluent, they are going to be willing to pay more for their food, and we will be in a more competitive uh, position. And we're seeing it already. I mean, if you look at in the seafood uh, world, um, most uh, China used to be a net seafood exporter. Uh, two years ago, it turned to an importer. And uh, the Chinese National Fisheries um, Company, which employs about 300 people in the United States, fired all their salespeople. They only have buyers now, um, and that's all they're doing. So that's going to impact our ability as U.S. citizens to be able to purchase uh, food being produced in the U.S. because other people will be willing to pay more for it. and you and can argue just, about it all you want, but it's just a fact of life. We're I mean, not just going to sell Elvers overseas. <laughs> no. <laughs> well, I'll give you an example. We had a, a, a shellfish grower, uh, I think I was telling you this a little earlier, um, who got called uh, by a buyer who wanted to sell, who wanted to buy the shellfish to, to export them to China. He was offered 25% over the existing market price with a three-year fixed contract. That happened last month. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was, a real, it was a real offer. It wasn't a, a phony offer. Mm-hmm. So... That's the kind of thing which is happening in the marketplace now. Amanda, how, how might the main food strategy begin to even take that kind of information in and then respond to that notion that we are not only a main food system or a New England food system, we're a global food system? Yeah, I mean, we've, we've definitely, uh, we're well aware of, of these types of issues. Um, 
And, you know, in in addition to that competition piece, I'd also raise that, you know, John Jemison from the Cooperative Extension and I actually wrote a paper a couple of years ago for the Maine Food Policy Mm. Special Food Issue, um, looking at the different um, inputs in agriculture and, and fisheries and the predictions around, you know, how limited they are. Um, water. Well, say yes. Okay. Right. Go ahead. So water, you know, increasing costs of energy, which makes it more expensive to convert nitrogen to a usable form. So producing fertilizer. Um, just there are a number of different uh, inputs that are becoming increasingly either more expensive or harder to uh, acquire, and so. At the same time all of this is happening on a global scale, there is this this need to be thinking about the base resources for food production. And so that's another piece that, you know, we're we're thinking about and talking about in the context of all of this. Mm. So um, inputs would include um, what Sebastian referred to as environmental laws that say, oh, an input is protecting that environment. And if we're going to make that very expensive, we're going to have to, as consumers, we're going to have to be willing to pay for that. Is that right? Is that a Yeah, mind? but I, I think Amanda's speaking about something which is really even more fundamental than that. And basically, you know, it's arable land, it's fresh water, and it's nutrients. Okay. And, um, and the consensus amongst agronomists, at least, is that if you look at what we've got for existing resources, you look at what our pop, where our population is headed, where it is now, you look at standards of living, um, we are, we've got a real problem emerging. And, uh, You're talking globally or, or in Maine? Globally. Right. Globally. Yeah. And yeah. So, but that's going to impact Maine very directly uh, in terms of the prices people are willing to pay for food. And so, um, I, you know, part of the local food piece, I think, is, okay, what have we got for local resources? How do we use those efficiently efficiently locally? And how do we reduce the use of resources to move food around uh, between areas in the in the world and the globe? Um, part of that is going to be figuring out, or, and I think I would argue we actually probably know, what we can grow or harvest well locally. It's not going to be bananas. Mm-hmm. You know, the reality right. is it's not going to be bananas. It right. is going to be potatoes. It right. probably, I mean, there there are things that we do well in Maine for our environment because of our environment and things that we will never do well. And climate change is, is beginning to influence that already in terms Absolutely. of what we can grow. 469-0500 locally or uh, toll-free 1-866-625-9378 as we talk about eating local from land and sea here on Talk of the Towns. Our guests are, are Monique Coombs of the Maine Seafood Marketing Network, Amanda Beal from the Eat Local Food Coalition and Sebastian Bell of the Maine Aquaculture Association. So, um, what um, what what's the process that you're using? Um, you said you've you've done the the study phase or the or what we might call the literature search mm-hmm. um, rev- stage, and you're beginning to reach out to people. Oh, we do have a phone call. I'll I'll come back to your question in just a minute. Um, yes, go ahead with your question or comment, please. Hi, I'm Cheryl, and my my comment is. Um, there is a lot of uh, noise about the GMOs and labeling, and there's also the expense that you talk about. Why can't um, some kind of, maybe even a school presentation showing, you know, our potatoes only use this much gas to get to the market, their potatoes use, you know, mm. that kind of thing? So that, that education. What the cost would be, right. the, the hidden cost. Yeah. The cost of the driver, the cost of the truck, the cost of the gas, you know, all of that stuff has to be factored into that food. Plus, it's not even fresh. 
Yeah. <laughs> sure, I think Cheryl brings up a great point, which is that um, really education, consumer education, when you talk to most kids in school and ask them where their food comes from, what do they say? The store. Um, so we as producers, but, you know, in general, I think both the academic community and the research community as well, we have to reach out more to consumers and explain what the true costs of the foods are that they are consuming and why local food makes sense, both from a societal point of view, but also from an environmental point of view. Mm, thanks for your call, Cheryl. Thank you. Um, 469-0500 or toll-free 1-866-625-9378. I'd begun to ask Amanda about um, what's the next step in the process for creating a main food strategy. Right, right. So um, one of the things that, well, well, Monique had mentioned that she she's actually doing a number of interviews uh, with different folks in the fisheries. Um, and we're just getting ready to start doing a series of interviews and some surveys as well with folks in uh, processing, distribution, retail, the whole sort of market side of things. Um, in the fall, we'll be doing a statewide consumer survey. And um, with as far as producers go, we, we were getting ready to hold some forums, and then what we realized was that there were a number of organizations that were holding forums around the state and planning to over, around various issues. And we're very sensitive to not over harvesting, you know, time from our pr producers. So what we what we are doing is we're listening in on those sessions. Um, we have agreements. People are sharing da data with us so that we will be able to to you know hear what's being said. And then later in the fall, we will put together um, some sort of a a document that will sort of summarize all of these different. Um, things that we're finding and what some of the, the goals may be to to work through them. And and then we'll take that out and test it out and see how people feel about it. Um, but there will be numerous points um, over, over time for people to give input. And also, like I said before, if folks are interested, they can sign up to be given updates at the mainfoodstrategy.org. Um, website and so when when we do hold forums or when there are events, um, they'll be informed about when and where those will be. Well, Monique, um, what what are you either asking um, fishermen um, or what are you hearing from them if you've already started that process? Yeah, well, I'm I'm talking to um, fishermen and you know people in in the business around fishing, so not just just fishermen, but um, I'm hearing a lot of different things and asking a lot of different questions. Obviously, depending on to whom I'm speaking, um, but education comes up a lot about fish, um, uh, prices about fish. Um, Amanda brought up earlier uh, boat to school. So I was in Skowhegan um, speaking with someone who's interested in getting seafood for her school and how do we do that and how do we go about that? So, you know, in those conversations, I'm trying to figure out, you know, and hear from them, what's their process? What are their questions? What are their obstacles? And what have they have have they found as solutions? Um, and so it, it's been really interesting, but as we've mentioned multiple times here, the, the two things that come up quite a bit are, are questions and issues around uh, price and, and education of the fish, mm, you know, how to use it. Okay, so say more about price. So, um, so for, you know, how much it costs to, to get local seafood into something like a school um, versus if they just went to a, a larger distributor to be able to buy from there, um, working with the seasons with fish, um, and then utilizing something like dogfish. So, you know, there's the, the price difference depending on who's harvesting it and how, and then, you know, how do you process it? So in the school, you have to 
obviously pay the the food service people if they're having to uh, process the fish more and cook it from scratch which is great but you know that all in- increases the price so you know how are they figuring that into their costs and making it work for them mm, and again that goes back to um, in, in the case of schools perhaps parent and con- kind of consumer um, education and therefore advocacy yeah, um, yeah. if we're going to spend um, for food that actually have some some costs because of those um, costs of inputs and labor and all those kinds of things we're gonna have to advocate for more school budgets you know, in that case, mm-hmm. um, to say, oh, we, we value um, that local source. We're going to pay more for it. Yeah, mm. yeah, exactly. And getting the kids to eat the fish, too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. But, but we've already seen wonderful examples of kids and vegetables yeah. <laughs> um, in, in terms of that's an educational process, um, getting kids to farms so that they can actually pull some carrots out of the ground changes their view. Absolutely. I Years ago, I was actually um, one of the co-founders of the Maine Harvest Lunch Program, which is a statewide farm-to-school program, and we wrote a K-8 curriculum, and we would go into the classrooms with, uh, you know, these, these lessons once a year, and I was a little bit skeptical at first that, you know, we could go into a kindergarten classroom and come back a year later, and they would remember anything that we had said, and I was really amazed to find that these kids remembered a lot. And so for the schools that are getting that curriculum, you know, progressively through K through eight, um, it's really building a knowledge base that they're taking with them out into the world. And I think, you know, just seeing the number of school garden programs and, and just all the energy around farm to school, um, it's it's really a natural um, sort of next step for, for them to start being interested in where does, where does fish come from? and. Mm and all of those issues. It may end up as fish sticks because that's very popular and it's it's the kind of product that is easy for many food service folks to to kind of prepare but okay so that means maybe there's an opportunity for um, production (laughs) of fish sticks and where does that fish come from? Yeah it was interesting I spoke with someone in Massachusetts that has fish in her school and that's what sold the best even when they were trying to source the local fish if they breaded it they ate it but if they tried to put it in a chowder or stew it was not as (laughs) not as <laughs> right. Um, and, and we just saw the passing, and I, I'm sorry that I can't remember his name, but he was a Bar Harbor-based food processor who invented fish sticks. And he, he just passed away at some advanced age. So it started in Maine, folks. It started in Maine. I did not know that. <laughs> <laughs> Do we have another phone call, Amy? No. Okay. Um, I'll list our phone numbers one more time, 1-866-625-9378 or 469-0500. So consumer education seems to be another theme that, that's emerging. Um, Sebastian, how are your um, Aquaculture Association members approaching that, that issue? Well, we're, uh, we're tiny, Ron, and we have a, a very limited budget. What, I mean, we were talking about kids just a moment ago. I probably go and speak to kids 20 or 30 times a year in local schools, um, and I have a tremendous amount of fun doing it. They ask great questions, and I agree with Amanda. Um, it's a amazing what they remember and how they kind of process it. Um, One wall of my office has just thank you notes on it from all the uh, classes that I've been to over the years. And uh, they have some great ideas about um, how to improve uh, food systems actually themselves. You know, the one thing um, I think we haven't talked about is 
education at the producer's side of the equation. So we've talked about consumer education. We've talked about um, how do we get the word out about local food. But there are things that we have to do from a producer's side. Um, and many times producers don't know what those are. And I'm thinking in particular, um, as uh, you start to go into larger distribution uh, outlets, uh, they often have uh, very rigorous standards uh, in terms of food safety, food quality, um, and it's difficult for a small producer who hasn't been through that process of understanding that before to get up to speed on that, and that often inhibits uh, getting uh, into those markets. Some of the larger, you know, Hannaford, for example, locally, they've got a great local foods program, but it's very difficult to get into that program unless you're fully HACCP certified. HACCP mean? Uh, hazardous analysis critical control point. <laughs> I didn't mean you should spell it out, but it's a process for making sure that the quality it is, is there. Yeah, right? it was safety, safety. Yeah, it's a food safety uh, program. Mm -hmm. um, but you know, when you've been on the boat all day long and you start at four o'clock in the morning and you get back and you offloaded your boat. Um, to then take the time to get up to speed on a very complicated at times uh, system, sometimes that's hard to do. So from the producer side, we, I think, as producers association or as people who are uh, part of the producer community, we have to try and help each other mm. get much more up to speed on those kinds of things as well. Let's take a final phone call, a very uh, quick one, if you would, could. List your uh, first name and where you're calling from, and then go ahead with your question or comment, please. Uh, my name is Alonzo. I live in Camden, and I'm on. I, I don't know if the subject has been covered or not. I'm. I live on food stamps, mm. and as anybody who knows, lives on food stamps. They only give you enough to cover about two months, about two weeks of a month. Uh, what I've run into is, I wish farmers market would be able to take food stamps. I get these brochures from the from the national from the national agricultural department telling me I should eat healthily. <laughs> I can't afford to eat healthily because of the prices. <laughs> what do I have to buy the low, you know, the bottom shelf stuff in order to survive? Right. I would like to see more cooperation and more uh, involvement in, lo in in local produce, local fish, local everything. Right. So people that are in this situation can afford to eat healthily. Thank and you. not have to eat all this junk because it's Yep. We, uh, sorry, had to cut you off because we're at the end of an hour. I just ask each of you very briefly, what are your hopes for a main food strategy? Um, in a year, what would you like to be seen in terms of that strategy? Monique, I'll, you can I'll go start. first. Yeah. I would say for uh, seafood to be, you know, just as uh, present at the table as the farm world has been in the local food discussions and to really have, uh, you know, know your fishermen be just as popular as know your farmer. Hmm. Amanda? Yeah, I mean, I, I, there are so many things I would like to see. <laughs> I think I, I'll say that I would love for consumers to really um, have a greater awareness of, of where food is coming from, who's producing food here in the state. Um, and, you know, just following up on the last caller there, I, I really hope that we can start moving toward um, you know, healthier access to healthy food for everyone. Mm -hmm. Sebastian, I, I think we just we need some concrete stuff to happen. We've been talking about local foods for a long time in Maine, um, and uh, it's time for some changes to happen from a policy point of view and have it, make it happen. Great. So the, the the strategy then ends up talking about 
consumers and producers and policymakers as well. Great. Thank you all for helping us with this conversation. And Alonzo, I am going to return to your topic um, next month on the 14th because we're going to be talking about a special screening in Ellsworth of A Place at the Table that talks about our food policy and food security. So stay tuned for that. We've come to that time when I want to remind you that this program was produced with support from Cooperative Extension and the Hancock County Extension Association. With offices in each county, Cooperative Extension is the major educational outreach program of the University of Maine. Our radio collaboration with WERU began in 1990 and continues with your support. Very much appreciated support from our last week's uh, fun drive. Join us at 10 to, from 10 to 11 on the second and fourth Friday mornings of each month for Talk of the Towns. Our theme music is a medley from Coronach on a Balmain House Highland music recording. Thanks again to our guests, Monique Coombs of the Maine Seafood Marketing Network, Sebastian Bell of the Maine Aquaculture Association, and Amanda Beal, who is a research coordinator with the Maine Food Strategy project. Thanks to those of you called in with your questions and experience. Thanks to our underwriters. Thanks to Amy Brown for engineering our program and stay tuned for On the Wing with Joel Raymond. This is Ron Beard, your host for Talk of the Towns, wishing you a good morning. Support for WERU comes from Waterfront Concerts, presenting 